I'm Rebecca Malaki Meslin, and welcome to Finding Common Ground, a show on Naperville Community Television focused on important current events and how they impact our diverse population. We are many voices of one community, often with strong opinions on every side of an issue. And I'm Dana Davenport. It's election 2020. And in this episode, we are talking national politics with local politicians. From the first woman of color to be nominated for vice president to a spectrum of debate decorum and all during a global pandemic, the 2020 U.S. presidential election has been a consistent undercurrent on every issue on a local, national, and global level. Here, through courageous conversation, in the interest of discovering collaborative solutions, we hope to find our common ground. Joining us now, we'd like to welcome our first guests, Diane McGuire and Suzanne Hart. Thank you ladies so much for joining Thank us. You. Thank you. We're excited to have you here to talk about the election. So beyond candidates and platforms, voting is an issue so many people are concerned about from voter suppression to voter registration to mail-in ballots to long lines already at the polls. What is your greatest concern about a fair election? Here in Illinois, we're blessed to have, I think, what will be a fair and uh, event-free election. I think it's going to go well. I really do. Despite the long lines over at the DuPage County Fairgrounds, I think that it's going to go well in Illinois. But I'm very concerned about what's happening nationally. Um, we've got instances, first of all, we've got 240 lawsuits playing out across the nation. Right. It's on record to be the most litigated election in American history. And if we look at the seven states that still have uh, requirements for uh, a reason to request a mail-in ballot. There are seven states that still have to have a reason beyond the virus. There are eight states requiring witness signatures on vote-by-mail ballots. That's been a problem for a lot of voters in North Carolina and how you cure that ballot. Then we have the issue of drop boxes. In Texas and Ohio, the governors and legislatures, perhaps the governors on, uh, on, on their own, have declared that one drop box per county, that makes sense. So they've removed dozens of them from communities in Texas in particular. And uh, one county in Texas is 1,800 square miles. It's huge. This requires drivers to navigate 30 miles, 30 minutes of travel to get to a drop box. And then we had the deliberate, in my opinion, um, disparagement of the United States Post Office. So that's making a lot of people feel uncomfortable about depositing their ballots in the U.S. mail, right. which I just did last week. Right. I'm confident. <laughs> uh, we've got voter purges, one going on in Wisconsin right now with 130,000 voters. They don't know for sure if they still live at that address, and it's still iffy whether they're going to be purged from the rolls or not. These are efforts underway all over the nation. I listened to an NPR broadcast not too long ago where a Native American woman on a reservation in Arizona, I believe, said that their only polling location was at the sheriff's office. There's an intimidation factor there. It's, it's not... You know, it's not conducive to free and fair elections on the basis of our democracy. I was active with the League of Women Voters for years. I have a new appreciation for their efforts to expand access to voting. We have same-day registration in Illinois. Mm -hmm. We've got everything in place to have an election that goes freely, fairly, and without incident, I believe. I definitely have to agree on the fact of Illinois. We've been doing for how many years mail-in ballots mm -hmm. so and without a reason and without and right we had done as a candidate and elected official myself i encouraged that behavior mm -hmm. to go early vote 
you know, mm -hmm. do the mail-in. So I, I didn't agree with how the governor needed to go in for a special session to go and change that. Why did mm -hmm. we need to even, you know, tweak that where it was going quite well um, and only sending out ballots for the last three elections? Why did we even have to put dates on that? So there was those concerns that I had, um, as well as listening, like you were saying, on the national mm -hmm. level. You know, there's not a time where you can't turn on the news, go onto social media or anything, where they're finding into the ditch another pile of ballots. They're finding into a hole. And I'm not saying this on at all on one side or the other. It mm -hmm. just becomes alarming because no one knows. You know, it's there's so many things that I thought being at the county board in Will County and our clerk who's mm -hmm. done amazing and Lauren Stanley Ferry, mm -hmm. very different. She's doing great. She's doing everything to keep the concerns down. Well, what was new it's this hard. year in Illinois was that we all received an application to vote by mail. If you had a, a record of voting in the last three elections, you got that application to vote. The three yep. elections, but right here, this, there was no reason, but mm -hmm. we've always had, we you could did, request. but you had to apply for the application. Right, but, and mm -hmm. why it was just stopped at 2016. Mm -hmm. And instead, Will County and DuPage both, which mm -hmm. I'm proud of both of our counties that are uh, lovely city sits in that they mm -hmm. were they sent an application to all the registered voters it wasn't just the ones mm -hmm. in the last three yeah so we did do the right thing right good I'm glad to see that because yeah. that's a second step that's a step that's been removed now we don't have to apply for it then get that and then you know it's it took a step away. How do you think that race factors into the election process and the access of voting and, and representation? The uh, incidences of voter suppression in many ways are aimed at our urban areas, they're aimed at cities like Milwaukee, they're aimed at Houston and Dallas and, and uh, our large urban areas, and they're targeting democratic strongholds. And these are the people least likely to be able to accommodate a drop box that's, you know, uh, a hundred miles away. But I want to speak a little bit about representation. I, I, I you know, I, I want to bring in women for just a second. We make up 51% of the population, and yet we hold fewer than 25%, 25% of all elective offices across this country. Mm -hmm. It's starting to move a little bit better, but it's still, we need to double the number of women in office. Let's talk about African-American representation. There was one amazing statistic that followed the uh, midterm election of 2018, and perhaps you all know what I'm, where I'm going to go with this. African Americans make up about 12% of the U.S. population. And in that 2018 election, we were so blessed to elect enough African Americans to the United States Congress that they now comprise 12% of the members. Mm -hmm. And one of those stellar representatives is our own Lauren Underwood, who was the youngest black woman elected to Congress ever. So we've gotten, you know, we've moved the needle a little on representation, but at the local level, statewide, I mean, long way to go. For women, for minorities, it's still an upward struggle, but you know, women are hanging tight, hanging together, supporting each other and encouraging each other. You and I know what it's like to run as a woman. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it, it's uh, a, a, a boy's game in many ways. But when you put your name on that ballot and you get out there and work hard, you can get elected. And we need more of that to happen. And with this, as we're, we're seeing this, we're having this conversation, I 
I don't really, I don't see color. I, I see like the best mm -hmm. person. I see that, that fire in the belly. And I love, you know, mm -hmm. like you're saying with women. Yeah, we can as run we, circles. As we think about those candidates, one of the things that we're talking about is um, as the Democratic uh, primaries were underway mm -hmm. and we were thinking about all of these diversity of candidates that we had, right, possibilities for the presidential nomination, um, a lot of people had their favorite picked. Mm -hmm. And then that may have shifted. If Biden wasn't your favorite and it's shifted to Biden, what do you think about when... Um, uh, a, a voting body starts to say, okay, well, my nominee wasn't selected. Mm -hmm. How do we shift our thoughts around getting behind a different candidate that we hadn't anticipated getting behind? What does that look like? Well, for me at the Democratic Party, we had a wide field this summer. And uh, I was a fan of Elizabeth Warren. I would love to have seen her win that nomination. She's a policy girl. She's got an answer and a plan for everything. I would have loved to have seen her be successful. On the other hand, Joe Biden, I've watched him for 47 years. He was elected to the Senate at 29. But when I think about, I don't know if you all watched John McCain's various services when Senator John McCain died. When Joe Biden gave that beautiful eulogy for John McCain, he started out with, I am Joe Biden. And he got kind of a laugh, small laugh in this great big filled up church. And he said, I'm a Democrat. He got a little laugh and I love John McCain. It's about shared values. There's a lot of those. How we get there is not always the same, but we have shared values. I think he'll appeal to that. Yeah, we did not have a primary, and I'm just going to put that out here. I am going mm -hmm. to go in favor policy versus personality. We'll just end it right there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> One of the things you had talked about earlier was about um, not seeing color and seeing, seeing the person, seeing the fire in the belly. What would you say to those people who absolutely look at color or gender or wealth or status um, or privilege when it comes to selecting the right candidate? I feel, I guess I'm blessed. I have yet to run into a situation like that ever. And I swear in all things I know, and I don't know because I'm a very outspoken individual and no one would ever say that to me. I mean, I come from a very, you know, long family. My father, you know, Polish, my whole mother's side's Jewish. We converted, you know, there's just, we're all different. And I've preached that forever. So I will, um, I don't know how I would handle that in that moment. I'm not going to lie and say that yeah. this is how I did because I've never, I, I've been very fortunate and I've never ran across that. Okay. I'm going to share a little bit about identity politics because I do see it. Yeah. And uh, I see it when people have a s single focus and that's their one issue. And I've run into voters that I thought would be supporters and nope, they're on another issue and that's their litmus test for support. So I do see identity politics. And I read a really interesting piece about white identity and how that played out in 2016 and how I think it may be an undercurrent in this election as well. And it's, it's a topic for another meeting exactly. I don't know that we want to delve into white identity, but it is a factor and a force. I think the bridge between typically one issue candidates and those that have a broader view of where we ought to be going on a number of policies, I think you can bridge it with good economic policy. I think that's the bridge that may bring us more together. I think that's often the divider, and I think good economic policy for all could be a bridge. I like that. 
Thank you. <laughs> when we talk about um, who's stepping up to be part of these elections, right? So we talked about representation a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that the, the brightest and best are the ones that we're voting for this election? Or do you think that there's a swath of people that exists in our communities and in our nation that, that aren't a part of politics? And, and if so, why? There's so many ways to answer that. It's just as it's taken out. Um, I've seen it take out some of the strongest, best candidates. And, and I've seen people not even want to get to the polling places just for that reason. Um, it's, it's nothing like I've, I grew up with. Um, it's also the dollars that are inquired. There's these seats that are pretty much being bought. It's, it's really not. And on a local level, it becomes a whole different than that of a national level, but of destroying, you know, that of integrity, families, just it's it's not a very it's not a very good time it definitely isn't for the week and there is a lot of other that the good people i've seen so many good people that would make amazing elected officials and they just they don't want to get in for the fear of not only just with themselves but with their family because the lies that have came out um you could say anything you know the freedom of speech whatever that can come out and it's just it's filtering out the good yeah, we could talk a little bit about the process, having been a candidate three times. And uh, Suzanne can appreciate this. When I ran the first time, you know, I'd wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning and I'd say, okay, let's figure this out, Diane. You're a Democrat. You live in DuPage County and you were the teachers union president and let us strike. All right. What are you thinking of? You can't win here. You cannot run. But then 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock in the morning, something positive would happen, and I stayed in, and I persisted. Came really close to winning that election. Uh, it was an expensive election, and uh, it took a tremendous amount of time. It's, the, it's not just the dollars, either. It's everything that comes with it. Mm -hmm. I mean, you really, I mean, I was retired. I had no dependents. I had a husband that took care of the dog. So, you know, I could give it. 11, 12 hours a day. Right. But the bar is high. It's really high. Now, some might say, well, then that maybe that's winnowing out the weak. Maybe that's, that's what we need. We need the ones that survive are really terrific. On the other hand, if we had some public support for elections, and um, they only talk about it at the national level, but and maybe we should have a conversation. Because if that financial bar were lowered and it was accessible, dollars-wise. It still requires a tremendous commitment to run. But if, it were, if we were able to handle the dollars in some fashion, collectively, we might have a more diverse candidate, candidate mm -hmm. pool from which to draw. Uh, it would be interesting to see how it plays out. I have uh, studied uh, briefly you know, publicly funded elections in Canada and in Germany and in Great Britain. And it's interesting to see how they managed to pull that together. But it's still, I mean, it's to put your name on a ballot is tough. I mean, you have to really want it. Fire in the belly, definitely, because you're going to be giving it your all. And you were correct about that, of not just monetary, of mm -hmm. dollars. It's just, it's your time. Oh, and I, tremendous. When I first got onto the trail, I was definitely, um, the kids were younger, the girls were out there, they were mm. doing, I mean, 
my daughter, my youngest mm-hmm. is 22. She's like, mom, it's the first time I went to a parade that I got to watch it. I wasn't in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My children, I remember when I ran in 2008, my children are much older than yours. They were all grown up, married with families of their own. They asked my campaign chair, can we just see our mother? <laughs> and she said, after the election, she'll have all kinds of time. <laughs> so it was, it's very intense if you're, gonna, if you're gonna really do that voter outreach. And I'm sure we should talk about the pandemic and how that's affecting these elections. Yeah, absolutely. What other impact are you seeing the pandemic itself having on the election in particular? Well, the most powerful tool a candidate has is that knock on the door. Mm-hmm. Would you agree, Suzanne? Absolutely. That one-on-one voter contact, that's missing. And there may be some candidates still willing to do it and they step back like 12 feet. But for the most part, that's not happening this time. But every other method, every digital method known to mankind, everything on the internet, social media, the mail, newspapers, you name it, we're doing it. Even phone banking has brand new popularity again. Text banking, I mean, it's, the outreach is creative, it's intense. Voters are probably a little tired of it by this time, but we are doing our best to let the voters know who we are and what we stand for. Mm-hmm. You know, there is still some that are knocking. You know, mm-hmm. they're knocking and then they're distancing. Distancing, yeah. you know, they have the mask. You can kind of hear them, mm-hmm. you know, in what, uh, in what they're trying to say. But it's, I have said many a times, I'm so glad that that's not me out there right now because I'm that knocker. You know, I would knock all day, all day. Yep. You know. I've, I've covered, now I'll say covered, I lit dropped 889 houses for this election. But I slipped it under the weather stripping on the garage door. That's as close as I got. Yeah. I just had a couple cards I put there. That's it. Ordinarily, it would be something on the door. I'd touch the front door, but not any longer. Well, that's actually a really good Both idea. of you ladies, as female politicians, mm-hmm. um, understand what it's like to be judged for, for being a woman. When you put your name on the ballot, you know, people talk about, they question your ability to run because you may have children. Mm-hmm. or they talk about your shoes or what you're wearing, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and no one's talking about, you know, what Mike Pence is wearing. <laughs> no. um, it's going to be much more of an examination of, of what um, Kamala is wearing versus what Mike Pence is wearing on any given day. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and, and what it's like as a woman, um, how that feels and, and what you would say to those people out there, you know, who have judged... Uh, the Democratic vice presidential candidate, Kamala, um, just for being a woman in and of, in and of herself? Uh, running as a woman is always, it's an extra layer there. There's an expectation that, uh, well, once again, that you've got to do it longer, harder, better. <laughs> you've got to prove yourself. And as we know, women wait until, I mean, I know for me, I was 62 when I made that first run for office. You were much younger. My children were gone. My career was finished. I was retired. Okay, now it's time. To see the younger women jumping in, I love it. It's wonderful. But juggling your family and a campaign is hard. And uh, now a male that's running, he may have that good support system at home that allows him to stay out at the doors even longer. Hopefully it goes two ways. I hope it does. That uh, the young women running today have that support at home that allows them to campaign really full time. But you're right, we're judged. But I, I personally, I've never felt, I've I've never experienced, and maybe it just never came and bubbled up to me, I've never experienced uh, like a a judgment about what I was wearing or how I spoke or that just didn't really come and surface so I was aware of it. Yeah, I would have to, I, when, 
that's why I would like for you to, I wanted you to go first, because I'm thinking, <laughs> let me think if I ever uh -huh. have. And my girls were always involved. My husband's amazing. He's been there. I couldn't have done it without him. Um, we were a team. We were doing this together. It was something of that mm -hmm. for the better good of, of that of Naperville and then on to Will County and I'm a Parky and my girls were all in and they, they loved it. Besides the pictures and the fundraisers and, but other than that, and now they are, all three of my daughters are very much involved. But I am going to say, I did just read something um, kind of goofy uh, with uh, Miss Harris when they were talking about her shoes and her yeah. Converse shoe. And I'm thinking, I do remember that. I'm thinking, what? What is he wearing? Mm -hmm. You're right. So, you're right. Yes. So regardless of who wins the election, do you think that we will be able to find some common ground? I do. Come I November? Pray. I'm going to say to Susan, I think we both agree that we need more women to run for office. We need them to step forward at younger ages, not 62, uh, and have the support that they need to make an effective run. We need their voices to be heard. I would hope when this is all done and said, and hopefully, you know, in November, not January, um, that we can just all agree, you know, America is our incredible country, you mm -hmm. know, and our, our police and our fire and our paramedics and everyone, that we just all have to just be safe, be conscious and just, and work together. That's where I just want to, just the whole country, just we're number one. And, and show that and just all be unified. That's my dream I and think I pray about that every day. I think it's possible. We need to get our arms around this virus pretty fast <laughs> and uh, so that we can, you know, go back to the ways that allow us to be together and to not make it so politicized. Oh my goodness, a right. mask is pretty important. Gotta have it. And then we can, you know, we get a vaccine and we can move forward. And I think, you know, this has divided us. The pandemic has divided us. It's, hopefully that's an end. A pandemic, an election, all in 2020. We're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back on Finding Common Ground. Stay informed with NCTV 17 News Update. These free videos sent straight to your email summarize the latest information and show you what's happening around town. Visit nctv17.com subscribe to sign up now. Your voice. Your vote. In our democracy, they matter. Make yours count. Get registered, learn the issues, and vote by or on November 3rd. Visit vote411.org. This message is furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters. In Naperville, we know that community counts. In fact, it's in our name. As Naperville Community Television, we have the privilege of showcasing what makes this award-winning city a wonderful place to raise a family, to make a living, and to enjoy life's journey. That's why it's our mission to capture on camera those special moments that connect us, those stories that impact our lives, stories you won't see anywhere else. So watch Naperville Community Television on air, online, and on social media. Welcome back to Finding Common Ground. 
In this segment, we're joined by Juan Thomas and Chuck Mayer. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you today? Wonderful. Good. Thank you for having us. Great. Good to be here. So what was your reaction to Kamala Harris's nomination for vice president? And how do you think it helps or hurts your party's position? Juan, since it's your party, I'm going to let you go first on that one, my friend. Well, I was personally very excited to see her nominated um, for the historic reasons, obviously, being a woman of color, first woman of color to be nominated by either party to be vice president. Um, I had a chance to actually know her and have worked with her um, before. And as a proud graduate of an HBCU, that's historically black colleges, by the way, um, for your listening audience, um, I'm very excited to see someone from another HBCU on the ticket. So I think she's got the ability to um, really help energize the party, energize the ticket, uh, and I think she's going to be a, uh, an asset. And what has HBCU been an asset. did you attend? I went to Morehouse College. Oh, you did? I went to Spelman. Well, you get a hug after uh, Hey, absolutely. We, we, didn't, we, should, we didn't talk we should, about We this. should have talked about right. that. And I have great friends at Southern. And, yes, uh, great school. Uh, down in Tallahassee, my mother went there at, uh, for a FAMU. Year. Yeah, great school. Yeah, great I school. did a lot of consulting with HPCUs over yeah. the years. So, um, from my perspective, it meant nothing to me. Um, you know, it, uh, being on the Republican side, uh, I didn't. I was a little taken back because of where she was in the actual presidential race. You know, she didn't do very well, mm-hmm. and. Um, but it doesn't surprise me in what uh, in the choice Biden made because he was trying to be uh, cognizant of having a female, mm-hmm. and I think having a uh, a candidate that has that kind of education and experience to be a, a young lady of color um, probably makes a good choice for him. So I'm good with that. As we're going into this election, uh, are you still thinking of voting straight ticket, or are you looking at individual candidates and each of the local and the national elections? It's been a big topic of conversation, I think. You know, straight ticket um, has to do a lot with policies of the people that are running. And um, I am definitely uh, been more on the political side of the Republican Party. Um, just from my background and my elected positions and things, I have a very uh, low tax, high on family issues, uh, schools being strong, a lot of things that I think we can all come to an agreement. It's just the way we get there sometimes. Mm-hmm. No, I would and add to so, that. pardon me? No, I would just add to that. Yeah. For a lot of us who are in partisan politics, policy is important. However, in many races around the country, not every race is competitive. Mm-hmm. on both sides. You know, if you live in a Republican area, sometimes the Democrats don't even slate someone to run for those lower tier offices. And, 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 and as, as like we have in Will County, I yeah. think the state's attorney doesn't even have a race. Right. You know, right. He, so you're, yeah. you're absolutely correct. But, you know, the question in whether I'm going to vote uh, straight ticket, you know, I have, uh, I, I will be voting for all the candidates that happen to be Republican in this go around. Uh, I have um, in the past come close to not voting for some Republicans and uh, in fact uh, have left my uh, mark off because I didn't like the policies of either candidates. Mm -hmm. So I didn't vote at all for that particular seat um, and let the cards fall where they may. I I, I think many people vote cross party if they know the candidate, have a personal relationship or they kind of have worked with them in some capacity. And so I know as a lawyer, 
um, I have voted for judges in Kane County who may not be of my party, but I've appeared before them, I know them, they're fair, they're reasonable judges. And so you find that in many cases, on that, those lower races, and I say, when I say, I mean down ballot races, you find people will cross over from time to time. But I agree. And, the, and I totally agree with what you're saying. Yeah. I, I've knocked on so many doors over the course of 20 years, right. and you get those people that'll say, oh, you're Republican, I'm gonna vote for you. Thank you very much, have a good day. And that's good for me because I can just keep on walking. Right. But then you get to the door where the folks want to know who are you? Right. What is your background? Yeah. What's your policy? <clears throat> How are you going to deal with right. this mm -hmm. issue or this issue that's important to them? So um, I, I think a lot of it has to do now, from my perspective, just how um, I view government as being um, which way, the direction I want to see it. So my candidates are heading that direction. That's why I would vote for them. Right. So you brought up a good point about uh, knocking on doors. We mm -hmm. talked about that in, in the former segment about how uh, integral that's been in the past to candidates getting the word out about yep. right their policies and their platforms. And, um, and to Juan's point, just meeting them sometimes face right. to face has a huge yeah. change in the way people right. hit if that you're, button. If you're running for a local office, and I'd say school board, city council, state legislature, um, city council, you need to knock on doors in your district or in your, in your area. Um, like you, I've done it multiple times. Um, when I ran for the school board, when I ran for town clerk, uh, when I ran for the state legislature, uh, each time you're knocking on doors, and that's critically important. So we were talking about the fact that with the pandemic, a lot of people, you know, both the people who, doing yeah. the knocking and the people opening the doors don't feel comfortable anymore because right. of social distancing, because of what we're all going through. So um, that's just one of the impacts I think that right. the pandemic is having on this election. So uh, and, and the politicians in particular who are used to connecting with the voters on that very fundamental level. Mm -hmm. What other ways do you see the pandemic impacting this election cycle? You know, from my perspective, I see it's they're afraid to make a decision on, am I gonna mail this in? Am I gonna go up and vote early in person or vote the day of the election? Um, I, and that, that uneasiness, I think, is what's um, the most challenging for anybody, whether it's an election or just going back to school or going back to work. We're just, this this COVID thing is so small, nobody knows. I mean, we could be sitting around here and we got COVID right in the middle and we don't even know it. You know, so I think that's probably the biggest thing that I see uh, is the fear factor. I would add to that, not only is there a fear factor, but I really think this pandemic is making people ask this question. What is the role of government in our society? And is competent government important on a local level where school districts have to make very important decisions about the safety of our children, but also on a national level. And should there be a national response to this? I think people are realizing that elections have consequences. And who you put in public office, who you elect to make decisions for on your behalf, is really important. And I really see that people are really, really paying more attention to that. I, I would argue, though, that, that people have always thought that process, thought that that whoever goes in there, there is a consequence. We've been having consequences since Hamilton and when they've been writing, you know, the way they wrote back in the 1700s, it's not so different than the arguments and fights that we're having now. 
it's just done in such a way that with mass me uh, with our media and Twitter and Facebook and all that kind of stuff we don't know what's real and what's not real the facts versus fiction of the information that's coming out about the candidates not only what the candidates put out but what people put out about those candidates and I, for me, I think that's the biggest challenge that COVID or any election has is getting to the truth. I mean, I want to know what my candidate has done in the past. I don't want to hear what he has to say. I want to know his behaviors. I want to see what's going on because his behaviors are a better predictor of his future decision making than just the stuff he says out loud. Well, I would say this, never before has has uh, or have we been impacted by the decisions of our elected officials or the non-decisions the non-decisions right. the I actions would, i would disagree because i think world Actually, war ii world war one so i i, I think what, that we go in sometimes and we get into this conflict and fear factor and the things that people say that create a dichotomy between the um thought processes that people assume that this is the worst that it's ever been. And I'm that's not, I'm not, not saying the case. That, but but it, we have been impacted in a way that we haven't in a long time. And you talk okay. about behaviors. Uh -huh. um, the presidential debate had a lot of behaviors on display. And you had just talked before about checking for behaviors. So how did the behaviors that you saw there and elsewhere underscore um, your passion for, for voting for people based on their behaviors and what they do and what they say? You know, um, Trump was not my first choice in the primary back in 2016. You know, just like Biden probably is not, wasn't the first choice for a lot of people in uh, 2020 uh, election. And so um, when I go in and take a look at the behavior in uh, on stage there, I felt sorry for this guy because it was the first time he's had a chance to really attack people that have been attacking him for over three and a half years. That right out of the box, this president got put into a defensive mode, not anything where anybody was looking to help him, but every time he turned around, somebody was out to stab him. and. There's a, there's a lot of things that are coming out, some things that aren't coming out. So I look at that as more of a reactionary thing to uh, three months of pent up, or three years of pent up frustration. When I take a look at a behavior for making a decision, when I then started to take a look at Trump from a, how is he gonna be my president after the fact, you know, during, after the election in, in 2018 uh, or 16, I looked at the business things that he did, the kind of negotiation skills that someone would need to, to, to put Trump Tower in the middle of downtown Chicago, you know, or build some of these, the developments that he's done. And I, I thought about the problems that we have in China, and I thought about the problems that we had in Mexico and Canada and some of the things that were going on. And would that make a difference if we had someone like that that didn't care about the politics of his decisions? And has, have I liked everything that's gone on with his tweeting and some of the stupid things that he says? No, but I can respect the fact that our 
stock market's gone way up, that we have seen a huge increase in trade that when nobody else, Republican or Democrat, would go in and put tariffs on China to say, stop, you're screwing the United States, this man did. And no matter what you think about him, somewhere along the line, if we're going to come to common ground, we've got to accept that some of those things have been good for this country. Well, Chuck, I would just say to you, uh, character matters. Character ought to matter in who we elect to be our president. And what troubled me about the person you just described mm -hmm. was not only was he rude and disrespectful during the, during the debate, mm -hmm. He wouldn't even condemn white supremacy. Oh, but he did. And, and, let no, me finish, let no, me no, 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 I would have he to take not, issue with that he did not because he said, I agree with what you said. He also, ahead, throughout the last four years, has insulted and disrespected numerous groups in this country. And I would just say this, the economy that you are applauding mm -hmm. started under the previous president, and he turned that economy around and the current president has added to that. So I hope you will give credit to the fact that the prior president started the good economy, turning it around. But beyond that point, you know, there's a book called Everything I Learned in Life I Learned in Kindergarten. Oh, I'm sorry. Everything I Need to Know in Life I Learned in Kindergarten. There are some basic principles, setting policy aside, play fair, be honest. Say you know, you're sorry when you hurt someone. When you have when a you Biden say, up at the on you stage, Juan, going point. in and calling and, him a clown, and when you say, calling the President of the United States a clown, like, I disagree when, when that you say that is like, not a two-way street. When you say, we, we talked about facts and information mm -hmm. and, and the truth. This election, we should not be debating some basic facts that are hurting all of us. This pandemic that you asked about is hurting all of us. It's not hurting the Democrats or not, and not the Republicans. Right, no, it's not it's, from the South or from, or from the North. Not even just from it's the United hurting States. All of us. Global. It's a global pandemic. Exactly. It's not a hoax. So, it's what's not your gonna, point? The, the president has called it a hoax. He says, he says, he says I, I've not heard the president call it a hoax. Then you're not paying attention. No, I've not heard him call this a hoax. He's also said that it's going to go away. I don't see away. how a man that actually caught COVID well, could call this a hoax. He, he yes, he I don't see it, how a man that could it call it, that stopped having people well, come in from China. Now, but initially called it a hoax. Oh, really? So you yes. had all the Democrats jumping on his case when in January he stopped travel from China, stopped travel from Europe, and your party was saying, no, this is not, you can't do this, this is blah, blah, blah. There is, is there a there national is response issues, to the pandemic? There is issues is on Is there a national sides. response to the pandemic? A national response? You know what? We have a national crisis, don't we? This is not, it's not in the national interest. Let me hold on. Not. It is the way our Constitution is set up. The nation, national response has to incorporate all your local, state, and county organizations. And the president does not even have the ability to go in and do some of the things that without the response of the health department in that county or the governors allowing. So he gave, and, and he actually supported all the governors in this country. We all pay taxes through the IRS. We have a national military in this country. We have different branches of the same military. And what's, and what's we, their job? To protect the country. At the borders At and the abroad. But 
the nation is being faced with a national pandemic where we've lost over 200,000 people to COVID-19. Schools a are 90, shut down. Nine and you don't think plus, there should be a national response at all? Plus healing each, rate. Each, each local matter. I had all I'm gonna, my family. I'm going to jump in. Go for it. Right. We're going to move on. Okay. But I want to back it up a little bit because we're talking specifically about two politicians and political parties, but we want to talk <coughs> about um, the people that have stepped up, right? We're talking about the people that have stepped up into these rings. Trump, we're talking about Biden, mm -hmm. but there are so many people that exist in our country who aren't stepping up into to run for political office, right? <clears throat> Do we think that it, this is our best and brightest that we're voting for in this election, not only nationally, but locally? And well, if not, why not? Where are these right. folks that are our best and brightest that could truly out represent our, and right. so my question <laughs> for you then is, where are they? Why are they not running? And what barriers right. exist? I think we'll agree on this. Okay, what both, barriers exist to get both, them to run? Both of our parties are famous for selecting their candidates, funding who they want to fund, and you know, making you know, the, the party choice, if you will, and discouraging competition from incumbents. My, my, my party, the Democratic Party in Illinois, you won't, even, you won't even be allowed to get the voter file if you run against an incumbent Democrat for a state legislative race or a county race mm. in Illinois. Our state party will not give you the access to contact voters. His party's not much better. And so there's a fundamental problem with our system. It discourages competition. The amount of money it takes to run for public office is, is, is atrocious. And the political elite, those who are in office, they genuinely don't want competition. Yeah. They don't want to be challenged. The idea that you run against someone who's already in office offends the party. And they will you know, disband you or call you a black sheep or marginalize you in local and state competitive races. You have to run against the party. And in Illinois in particular, almost one third of our state legislature are appointed before they actually have to run for the seat. So the incumbent steps aside, the party elders in that community get together, gets the blessing of the party boss in Springfield, you get appointed, and then you run as the appointed incumbent with all of the trappings of incumbency. It's, I actually, it's, it's I actually won my first county board race by running against the Republican uh, three that was set up, and I took out their weakest link by working hard, yep. knocking on doors, and getting takes. to know the people. Right. But th to your point, that is, that's exactly what it takes. And so um, when you start taking a look at running for office, there is a lot of layers of government. And there's a lot of ways that people can be involved. And the higher that you get up, the more time it takes Therefore, you have to have a certain kind of career. Right. But Chuck, you have you to have a certain good kind of. Don't get involved. But, but you got to have a certain kind of career. You have to have a certain kind of. Do you mean like flexibility in your career? The flexibility yeah, okay. with your career. Right. Okay. Uh, you also have to have a pretty dang tough skin, the not to take things personal because you will get blasted by all kinds of people and, and people gotta, that you thought that were friends. Right. Like from a party true. standpoint, you're hanging out with people and all of a sudden, right. you know, you thought they were going to support you and, and they're, they're like, nah, you know what, I don't want to do this, I'm going to do this. You're able to either raise money or have your own money. 
because at the end of the day, particularly when you get beyond city council, local mayor, in, in smaller towns, and I'm not talking about mayor of Chicago, but or even you know, Naperville or, <laughs> maybe or Aurora, um, you need to be able to to raise or have six figures. And when you engage these political parties, the first question they want to ask you, can you raise any money? Do you have any money? They don't talk about ideas. They don't talk about your background. They want to know, do you have any money? And that's true for both parties. And my Democratic friends don't like it when we tell the truth about them because they want to act like only the Republicans care about money. Don't Everybody cares, cares about don't money. Don't believe the hype. Have you ever the Democratic Party ground is found. very much committed to money? Try to do a single mailing. Try to do a single mailing in in the primary, and then take and triple that for a general That's election. Right. That's because right. Because you're talking about a small segment, which is why you you'll hear people go, "Well, I never got anything from that because you never voted." That's right. You know, when when we have in our primaries, 18 percent of the folks turning out to vote. Right. And so they're not engaged, not, out, not until you start getting into right. all the debates and the craziness of the presidential. Then you start getting 80 to 85 percent right. coming out from different precincts. So, you know, you ask about people, people don't care. So they don't care until it bothers their lives. That's right. They don't even know who their county commissioners are for right. the most part, or three quarters of their school board. Everybody um, knows who's on the school asking, board now, right. because right. forget right. asking. To your point, point. But that, everybody knows everybody's going board on. People but ask them who's on their township politics and who's on their township boards. They won't know. And to that point, people in public office, and I've been a local official, I've served in public office, I've got friends in public office. This is a secret they never want to admit to. Right. They know that people aren't paying attention. Yeah. So they, so they become the very arrogant in public office. Oh, they never say it. They never will admit their arrogance. But the way they approach re-election, the way they, they will dismiss their detractors, because they know nine out of 10 people are not gonna do the work it would take to remove them from office. Yep. So they get very comfortable, they get very pious, they get very arrogant, particularly when they move up the party, the, the party chain and when the party is gonna fund them anyway. You know, I, 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 I mean, I know that that's an absolute truth to some people, mm -hmm. but we talked about character earlier, right? And really it has to do with the character of the individual that's in that office. Because I, I've been, um, you know, I was on the county board for 16 years, you know, and I was involved in a lot of different levels and a lot of different committees there with, from that standpoint. You know, I've spent a lot of time in Washington with a lot of different things. Are there arrogant people there? Yes. Are there people that are just trying to do the right thing? Absolutely. We're human. And what character you brought to the table is the character you're going to use while you're there. And they're not bad so, people. So they just get complacent. They, well, you got both. You got compla complacentness. Yeah. You got people that think that they're des they're owed something, right. they're and deep. you got people that are there because they really want to help their community right. and do the right thing uh, for the people that they're working with mm -hmm. and for. Regardless of who wins the election, uh, I want to know: Do you feel, or how can we reach? common ground and specifically if your party loses what would you do to reach across the aisle to do healing in our country 
uh, from a health perspective, from a social injustice perspective, from a jobs perspective, from a morale perspective, what do you recommend that your party do if you lose in order to help us all reach common ground? You know, um, we're all Americans. We all were born in the United States, grew up here, however you've been educated. You know, you went through the educational system. When there is a common enemy, we seem to come together. And what we have to realize is elections, we've been having elections for 200 years. I, you know, I wasn't super happy when Obama won, you know, in the last go around. But I worked with everybody that he had and I had no problem working across the aisle when I was in there. I think what we used to nickname this on the inside and you may have, I don't know if your side says this, but this is crazy season. Everybody's <laughs> just crazy. And they go crazy until it's over with and we will have a smooth transition of power if Donald Trump doesn't win. Um, and hopefully Joe Biden will do good things for our country if he gets in. And I, I think- but What do you think Republicans can do? I don't wanna talk about the past. What I, can we I, do to help us move forward? I don't, I, I think Republicans, uh, Democrats, again, do your job. You know, if you're an elected official, you study the issues, you make good policy decisions by what you have available. If you are just a mom uh, doing soccer with your sons and daughters, you know, and you happen to vote Republican, you know, I'm not gonna go in and yell at you for being a Democrat, you know, we're gonna go in and have uh, a beer or we're gonna go out to dinner and we're going to just move forward. I think that the only way we can do this is to really remind ourselves, Republican, Democrat, we're Americans first, party second. And if, um, if you identify so much with one party, you need to back up and take a look at what makes the world tick. And it's not our differences, it's our similarities. And so any group needs to go in and take a look at what makes us similar and not different because that's the only way we come. I used to referee or um, teach in a behavior disorder uh, with behavior disorder students and I had gangs from all over the city of Chicago and Aurora and all. And so in my classrooms, they would fight like cats and dogs and they would throw up signs about their gang, whatever. I'd get them on a basketball court, there would be another team that they were going against. Oh my God, now these guys are playing together as a team. It seems like when we find common ground, we can come together. I think it's gonna be very hard if, if the Democrats lose <clears throat> um, because it'll be very painful because for a lot of Democrats, this election is about the soul of America who we are as Americans. You talk about common ground, seeing us all as Americans. A lot of us on the left don't believe that some on the right see all of us on the left as Americans. That you see us as your brother, as truly committed to the democracy to make America as good as its promise. You know, recently Joe Biden quoted um, Doc Rivers, the former basketball head coach of the uh, Clippers, now of the Sixers. And the question he asked was, why do black Americans love America so much when America has never loved them? 
And for a lot of us, that's how we really feel. And so what we remember, we talk about an election being over. When Obama became president in 2009, a group of Republicans got together the day of his inauguration to plot how to make him unsuccessful, or to quote a Republican majority leader, how to make him a one-term president. That's not common ground. That's not coming together. Well, not, not on the first day of his presidency. This started and with, so, okay, we can sit so here and talk about that, Trump. Hold so, on, hold on, wait. I didn't say Trump. Trump. No, no, no. I, didn't Trump. Trump. I understand Trump that. didn't do that. that, that, no, was, that was but what the Democrats used to mention Republicans. Yes. So, so the I'm Democrats hoping, started this with let's the let him finish. Republicans. So, so, well, so hold I'm on hoping. a second. No, hold on You a said second, I could go in and interrupt. No, because we're going to wrap it up. So my point is, my point is, if we lose, I hope we don't get together to try to make Trump unsuccessful. Yeah. I hope we come together and try to help, try to we strengthen America mm. to solve this pandemic because nobody wants to be sick. No. How do we turn our economy around? Because all of us want jobs. jobs and good paying jobs. And we all want good schools and safe schools for our children. And how do we also heal the racial divide? That requires some very difficult, hard conversations that I'm hoping we can have and have it with integrity and honesty. And I would hope that uh, we could continue that process as well. Absolutely. As uh, I said before, I've been on HBCU campuses for the last 20 years working with the universities. My first client was FAMU down in Tallahassee uh, with that group. So I, I, I've been having this conversation for a very long time and we can continue this off the air. I hope we will. <laughs> Good. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Finding Common Ground. And just remember to get out and register and vote in this upcoming election.